Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we will examine just some of the many UFO encounters on record involving police officers. And while we'll have a particularly heavy focus on the police forces of the United Kingdom and the United States here, there are a plethora of such encounters on record from around the world. Indeed, enough to fill several volumes. Before he was a UFO researcher, writer and vice president of the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, Gary Heseltine was a police officer in the United Kingdom, until he retired early in 2013 in order to study the UFO phenomenon full-time. Of course, due to his background and connections, he arguably knows more than most about UFO sightings involving police officers, particularly in the United Kingdom. Indeed, Heseltine has collected hundreds of sightings from police officers, serving and retired, over the last 20 years, including an incident that occurred in 1981 in North Yorkshire, when two security officers who were responsible for the safety of a key member of the then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher's cabinet, observed a metallic UFO that was approximately the size of a football field moving overhead. Hesseltine would state that one of the security officers was so unnerved at what he had seen, he removed his gun and prepared to aim it at the object before his colleagues warned him not to open fire. Of course, Hesseltine has had his own sightings of UFOs, the first before he was a police officer when he was a teenager. He would state in a recent interview that he was 16 years old at the time and living in Scunthorpe in Lincolnshire. He was walking his then-girlfriend home when he noticed a bright white light as they walked down a dark narrow path. As the light came into view, they appeared to trigger several power grid failures. He would keep the object in view as he made his way back home, claiming he was able to predict almost to the very second where there would be another power cut, simply by following the position of the aerial object. He would state on his website that the incident sowed the seeds in an ever-widening ripple effect that would eventually pull him into the field of ufology, to the extent that it has become the all-pervading theme of his life. He would further claim to have been witness to two other UFO sightings while he was a serving police officer, both of which while he was off-duty. One of these occurred at night when he witnessed three bright objects holding an arrowhead shape formation, and another during the day when he viewed through binoculars a silver metallic looking sphere that passed in front of his home. Another UK UFO investigator is Tony Dodd, who is quite rightly still viewed as one of the leading UFO investigators in the UK, even after his death in 2009. Not only was his influence crucial in organising independent UFO research in the United Kingdom, his influence was global with the international reach of his investigations. Dodd was not a lifelong UFO or space enthusiast. At the time of his first sighting in 1978, he was a North Yorkshire police sergeant, and a highly respected one at that. In the opening chapter of his 1999 book, Alien Investigator, Dodd would write about that first time he witnessed a UFO. It was around 2.30am and he was driving around the lonely roads of Skipton as part of his supervising of the night's patrols. As he would most nights, he had with him a beat patrol officer who he had picked up a short while back, as much for company for himself as to give the beat officer some time off his feet. This particular night, a call came over the police radio regarding a frantic housewife whose husband had not returned home. 
Dodd's instincts told him by the time they arrived at the property, the husband would be at home, or the worse for one too many, and a recent tongue lashing from his angry wife. Even so, they were duty-bound to investigate the report. He would turn the vehicle onto a quiet country road that was a shortcut to their destination. The roads were narrow and at points had sharp curves in them, forcing Dodd to keep his speed to a minimum. At one of these curves, both men noticed a glow of light around the corner. As there were no buildings along this road, the policemen expected to see an oncoming vehicle. As they turned around the curve, each was confronted with a massive disc with a dome shape on the top. It also had a small round dark portholes along the side, as well as skirting at the bottom. Dodd slammed on the brakes of the police car. As the vehicle came to an abrupt stop, each man could now see clearly the underside of the disc. Dodd would write that three half-spheres protruding from underneath in a triangle were visible. Dodd and the young beat officer opened the car doors and stood looking up at this fascinating craft. It moved at around 20 miles per hour into some woodland in the distance. From their vantage point, it seemed to descend and now only a glowing ball of light was visible to each. Eventually, that too disappeared. After a moment of quiet contemplation, both men returned to their seats inside the car. After a quick discussion about what the object might have been, Dodd started the engine. They drove forward, Dodd now in two minds about continuing to his original destination or pursuing the strange craft. If, of course, he could locate it. After several minutes, lights again came up in the distance. This time it was the headlights of another patrol car. As each police vehicle met, they stopped alongside each other, their drivers winding down their windows. Did you see it? came the excited voice of the driver of the other police car. Dodd informed them they had. The three police officers exchanged notes and ideas before going on with their duties. Dodd would continue to investigate the missing husband, who, as he suspected, was no longer missing, but certainly not in his wife's good books. He then returned to the station and made contact with Leeds Bradford Airport and Manchester Airport. Leeds Bradford's radar was shut down for the night, and Manchester had no records of any unknown crafts. Dodd would continue his shift, finishing at 6am, but was not able to put the sighting out of his mind. Dodd would have many other sightings over his last decade with the police force. He would often bring people with him at their request who were eager to see these strange appearances for themselves. Although Dodd didn't actively speak about his work, most close to him knew of his interest as well as his sightings. One time, for example, his son-in-law Anthony Grant would accompany him to the Yorkshire Moors. They would negotiate the quiet country lanes, eventually arriving at a hill which Dodd directed the vehicle towards. As they reached the top, a large cigar-shaped object filled their view. It was hovering silently and lit up with a line of windows along its side. Dodd would state it was as if it was waiting for us. The two men stared in awe at the huge craft for several moments. Then, a bright light emerged and it began to ascend, eventually disappearing from their sight. On another occasion, this time with two colleagues, he was parked on the moor late one night. They had been there for around three or four hours, and it began to look as though nothing of consequence would take place. Dodd would step outside of the car to stretch his legs before planning on driving home for the night. As he did so, he immediately noticed a huge craft hovering silently directly overhead. He would write, it was brightly lit in many colours, like the fairy lights on a Christmas tree. 
Dodd would later state his two guests also vacated the vehicle and all three men stood watching the otherworldly craft for several moments. It then shot directly upwards at a lightning pace and was gone. One bitterly cold morning in late 1978, at a little after 4.30am, Dodd would experience another sighting. On his usual patrol duties with a beat officer in the passenger seat, the police car was hampered by the fact it had been snowing relatively heavily for several hours. Because of this, the roads forced them to slow their speed considerably as they travelled along the narrow and twisting lanes. Suddenly, as they arrived at the top of one of the many hills in the area, they both noticed a bright light in a farmer's field below them. Realising even the most ardent farmer wouldn't be out at this time of the morning in the current weather, Dodd brought the car to a stop and watched the light. Almost as soon as he did, the mysterious craft began to move. It remained low to the ground, skimming along the surface with the grace of a champion ice skater. As usual, there was no sound audible. Both men watched the object as it made its way over the field, eventually disappearing into the distance. Dodd would continue to drive out to the moors, and not just when his police patrol duties called for him to do so. It was quite the norm for him to spend several hours, four or five times a week, sitting watching the skies from his otherwise lonely spot in the north of England. Perhaps more importantly, he usually did see something. This, he began to realise, was perhaps not coincidence. Perhaps whatever the intelligence was behind these cosmic crafts, they were subconsciously calling him to the moors. With this in mind, he decided he should attempt to make contact. Dodd would take to keeping a powerful torch in the glove box of his car at all times. Whenever he was on the moors and would see one of the mysterious crafts, he would stop his car and flash his torch at the object in an attempt of creating some kind of basic communication. One December morning in 1982, somewhere in the early hours before dawn, that communication was established. That morning, Dodd and two friends, also with an interest in UFOs, were sitting in Dodd's parked car on top of the moors. Each held on to a flask cup of coffee in an attempt to ward off the cold. Braving that cold, Dodd opened the car door and stepped out to walk around for a moment or two. He let out an audible gasp, which brought out the two other men. Above them, a large black triangular object with small coloured lights in the shape of a diamond on its underside was hovering. The craft began to move upwards, prompting Dodd to reach inside the car and retrieve the torch. He quickly flicked it on and off several times, while pointing it upwards towards the craft. Then, much to his disbelief, the craft performed a sweeping U-turn and came back to where the men stood. It would hover at no less than 50 feet above them. He was so close, he could see the ripple effect opaque material of the windows. He would liken them to the obscure glass look used in modern bathroom windows. Then, an amber beam of light on the underside changed from amber to white and back again. This was repeated several times, and was a very obvious acknowledgement and response to Dodd's signals. If we turn our attention to the United States, there are several well-known UFO encounters involving police officers. Perhaps one of the most well-known of these was the incident involving Lonnie Zamora, sometimes referred to as a Socorro case, in which he happened upon a metallic silver disc-shaped craft descending to the ground at the roadside while he was in pursuit of a speeding vehicle. What's more, he would even witness several of the occupants of this apparent otherworldly craft. There have also been several intriguing police chases involving UFOs, just one of which, the Potage County UFO chase in April 1966, would see multiple police cars follow an unidentified object from Ohio into Pennsylvania. 
Just over three decades later, in December 1994, a similar police chase involving a UFO unfolded in Trumbull County, Ohio, during which multiple witnesses observed a bizarre aerial vehicle. Without a doubt though, one of the most intriguing of these police UFO encounters was that of Val Johnson. In the early hours of August 27, 1979, at around 1.40am, Val Johnson was on patrol duty in Marshall County in the state of Minnesota. He was approximately 10 miles outside of the town of Stephen on Marshall County Road 5. As he approached the intersection with Minnesota State 220, he looked to check for traffic before continuing. As he did, he witnessed a very bright, brilliant light seemingly heading in his direction. The light, though, didn't appear to be on the road, nor did it appear to be the headlights of an oncoming car. It was around four feet from the ground with very defined edges. Johnson at first wondered if it was a small aircraft possibly making an emergency landing. He proceeded cautiously down the Minnesota State 220 road. Almost instantly, as if it had accelerated, in a matter of seconds the light was right in front of him. It clashed with his patrol car, and sound of breaking glass and damaged metal filled his ears while his sight was overtaken by the light's brilliant glow. Then, with the patrol car still in motion, he blacked out. When he came to, the car was approximately 800 feet from its last known location, and now stood sideways on the road. He checked the clock. On the dashboard it was 2.19am. He had seemingly lost almost 40 minutes. Furthermore, when he looked back at the road behind him, there were black brake marks which had obviously been made by his car. Something unknown to Johnson had applied the vehicle's brakes in an effort to halt it. Confused, he reached for the radio on the car's dashboard. After requesting assistance, a fellow Marshall County police officer, Everett Doolittle, arrived on the scene, who in turn would request medical assistance. Johnson, understandably, was found to be very much in a state of shock and complaining of very sore eyes. He was transferred to Warren Hospital, where he would undergo several examinations and x-rays. It was found that he had damage to his eyes, very similar to that that a welder might have. Further examinations also found slight damage to the inner eye, consistent with being exposed to a particularly bright light at close range. Perhaps one of the most interesting details of the whole affair, at least at the scene itself, was Johnson's wristwatch and a clock in the patrol car were both exactly 14 minutes slow. Given that it was one of their colleagues, a police investigation would proceed immediately. Initial reactions and suspicions were that the incident was ball lightning, while others pointed to the overhead power lines at the scenes itself as a likely source of the bright light that had knocked Johnson unconscious. However, as we might imagine, other investigators who would look at the incident from a UFO's perspective were a little less convinced with these initial theories. And as the finer details of the case were examined, including the physical damage to the vehicle itself, while it is perhaps obvious that something definitely did happen to Johnson on that lonely Minnesota road, what exactly that something might be is a little less apparent. The patrol car and the damage it sustained is most definitely worth examining. For example, Johnson recalled hearing the sound of breaking glass as he blacked out. There was considerable damage to the windscreen, as if something had collided square on with it, causing the glass to crack. Furthermore, the antennas near the back at the top of the vehicle were completely bent out of shape. This would turn out to be a rather important clue in determining what may or may not have come into contact with Johnson's car. Some investigators who would claim this damage was the result of something striking the antenna. 
Other investigators, however, would suggest that the antennas were bent out of shape by whipping forward when the brakes were applied. They would then strike the red dome of the police lights, causing them to bend from the heat. However, when tests were conducted in Minneapolis Honeywell Labs, it was clear that the bending of the antennas was by force and not due to intense heat and whipping motion. In short, something physical had struck Johnson's patrol car. Furthermore, it would appear that the car's left-hand side took the brunt of the collision. Even the damage to the windscreen on the left would prove to be more intriguing than initially suspected. Meridian French, an expert in his field from the Ford Motor Company, would examine the damage for several days. Rather bizarrely, he would conclude that the crack patterns and apparent sequence of fractures seem to be due to inward and outward forces acting almost simultaneously. French would elaborate that the cause of the damage to the windscreen was from mechanical forces of unknown origin. Johnson's physical injuries would heal quickly. Any memories of that evening, however, remain distinctly absent from recall. Despite the initial suggestions of ball lightning as an explanation, following further investigations, including by the Centre for UFO Studies, the cause of the encounter remains unexplained. Furthermore, there was no evidence whatsoever that Johnson had manufactured any part of the encounter, and what's more, his character and credibility were generally impeccable. There were also several further intriguing details that would come to light as the various investigations and discussions of the case continued. For example, by pure chance, Johnson had received dental work just prior to the incident, with further follow-up work due after the encounter. During the first dental procedure, x-rays were taken as part of preparations for the follow-up work. These x-rays would show that Johnson's bridge work on his front teeth was completely as it should be. However, during the follow-up procedure, the bridgework was no longer intact, and what's more, they were broken at the gums. This should have resulted in massive swelling and severe pain for Johnson, however he suffered from neither. Was this damage to Johnson's bridgework the result of a physical impact? It is perhaps interesting to note that he would state in the days after that he felt as though he had been hit in the face with a 400-pound pillow. Might this pillow have resulted in the severe damage to the teeth without causing any further damage to his outer face? Just what did strike Val Johnson and his vehicle? There are many other UFO encounters involving police officers on record. Perhaps one of the earliest UFO sightings involving the police occurred just after midnight on December 21st, 1901 in Harworth in West Yorkshire, when PS John Johnson and PC Clark were on foot patrol duty on a snowy evening. As they made their way around the streets, their attention was captured by a suddenly appearing bright green light that was so bright it illuminated the entire area. It was clear that the light, or whatever it was, was coming from above them and both officers turned their attention upwards. There above them was a luminous UFO shaped like a cigar, which was also pointed at both ends. It was moving slowly, certainly for its size, and would send out a flash at apparently random intervals. In total, the two police officers watched the strange object for around 15 minutes before it finally disappeared into the distance. They would later estimate that the object was moving at an altitude of between 100 to 150 feet and that it appeared to ascend as it moved. Unbeknown to the two officers, they were not the only witnesses to this strange aerial vehicle. Residents in the town of Keithley and Shipley also reported almost identical objects on the same evening and at approximately the same time. A particularly intriguing encounter occurred around half a century later and is documented in the book True Police Stories of the Strange and Unexplained by Ingrid Dean. 
although the date is not certain, although it appears the incident happened between the 1950s and the 1970s, an incident with a reptilian creature involving an anonymous member of the Special Investigations Department of the United States Army is certainly one of the most intriguing and unsettling on record. The encounter unfolded somewhere in Utah, when the police officer was informed by a confidential informant that a dead body had been dumped in a nearby abandoned mine. Acting on the information, he drove to the location and introduced himself to the owner, requesting permission to search the mine. His initial inspection of the area for recent disturbances uncovered nothing unusual. Then he spotted the opening to a mine tunnel that was wide open, just as his informant had told him it would be. He shined his torch into the tunnel and instantly caught sight of what he thought was a young boy that moved into the corner and out of the glow. Instinctively, he called out, Police, come out, before assuring the apparent youngster that he wasn't in any trouble, but that the mine was a dangerous place to be. There was no answer. After waiting several moments, the officer cautiously and slowly stepped into the tunnel, immediately noting just how dangerous it was to be inside, as he noticed all that held it up were support timbers. He called out again to the figure, again trying to stress how dangerous it was to be inside the tunnel, but once more no answer was forthcoming. Again, cautiously, he took several more steps inside, this time seeing slight movement in the shadows ahead. Not willing to proceed into the mine any further, the officer waited, moving to one side of the tunnel and looking to reach for the youngster as they tried to exit so he could take them home to their parents. After around 20 minutes, he noticed movement ahead of him, but only for a brief moment. Then, all was still once more. He remained where he was, staring intensely into the darkness in front of him. He was now saddened to doubt if it was in fact a child. Perhaps it was a small bear, he thought. Although he didn't draw it, his hand remained close to his gun. Then, he noticed movement ahead of him once more. This time, more continuous movement, although he couldn't quite see any further details, and then it stopped once again. Trying to remain patient, he held his position, waiting for whoever or whatever was in the shadows to take one last step towards him, which they eventually did. Raising his torch upward, he shined it directly ahead. To his complete shock, there in front of him was a reptilian-faced creature. He immediately turned and ran, beyond scared at this point, the reptilian creature disappeared also, with the officer recalling that it dove into the earth like it was water. The encounters we have examined here are but a tiny amount of the many police UFO incidents on record. Indeed, we will almost certainly return to examine more of these encounters in a future podcast episode. While we should perhaps take most UFO reports with a varying sized pinch of salt, generally speaking, police officers, like pilots and military personnel, tend to make accurate and credible witnesses and given the fact that they risk damaging their respective careers by publicly speaking of such encounters, it is perhaps no surprise that many of them wait until retirement before doing so. While there are many researchers that gather military reports and release documents into UFO incidents, as well they might, those from police officers tend to, at times, become lost and slip under the radar. By bringing them back to the surface, and to the attention of UFO researchers and enthusiasts today, do they help us bring together a fuller picture of the UFO and alien question. For now though, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases we have been discussing here. Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And as always, if there is anything you want us to feature in future podcast episodes, then just get in touch. 
at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care. Thank you.